Our scripture will be taken once again from the Gospel of Luke. We'll be looking first at Luke 5, but let us pray together. Almighty God, we give you thanks for your holy word, for the opportunity to worship, the opportunity to study it together. And now, dear God, as I stand before these, your people, I pray that this would be your message and not my own through the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Sometimes in our lives, we have to make really big decisions. The question is, is how do we get the information that we need to be able to make those kind of decisions? How do we, how do we decide on what's the right thing? Sometimes when we have big decisions, we'll start making lists. So here are the pros and here are the cons. And do the pros outweigh the cons? Or if it's more of a business type thing or a long range plan that the church might have or you might have in your professional life, even in your family life, sometimes we, we lay out, here's the cost, here's the benefit. And, and we do a cost-benefit analysis to try to figure out, is this the right thing and is this the right time? And sometimes when we've got big decisions that we need to make, we'll seek out some friends. Somebody who might look at us in the eye and, and tell us the truth. I've got a, couple, a few groups of friends and, and, and there are some that are in, in the church but I have, I have another group that, that's outside the church that periodically I can just kind of go up to them and go, all right, here's what I'm thinking. And I know that they're going to look me in the eye and go, really, is that what you're thinking? Or are you doing this? Are you being called to this or are you running from that? You know, they're going to look me in the eye and, and they're going to help me to discern what is the right thing. Sometimes we talk to colleagues. How do you guys do this? And have y'all ever done, done this? And we consult with other groups. Sometimes we have big decisions to make. We'll even hire professional consultants to come in and guide us and advise us and try to help us to make the right decisions for ourselves and for our families. I know when I first started in ministry, I've shared with some of you the story that I was only 20 years old. I mean, I, I was a youth minister in a church. I was, I was you know, just finishing my sophomore year of college, getting ready to start my junior year. And and all of a sudden, a district superintendent calls me up and says, we want you to go serve your own church. 20 years old. I mean, what kind of superintendent would ever come up with an idea like that? <laughs> I didn't have a clue what I was doing. And they sent me to Monroe, which is now our Monroe campus. But at the time, it was Benton Heights Church. And down Medlin Road, I had the little Smyrna Church. And, and I was now their pastor. And they sent me to train me two weeks. I got a two-week training. 20 years old. My plan was that I would have been a youth minister until I graduated from, from college, but, but that kind of got turned. And, and I remember thinking, I am so far out of my league, I don't have a clue what I'm doing. And one day I just happened to be passing by Central Methodist Church there in Monroe and pulled in the driveway and went in and said, could I speak to the pastor? And, and they didn't know whether I needed help in my car payment or if I was looking for spiritual discernment. But they sent me right back to talk to the pastor. I introduced myself to him and I said, I don't have a clue what I'm doing. But can I stop by here periodically and can I run some things by you? And Would you be willing to guide me? And that created a mentoring relationship that lasts for years. It, when we have to make big decisions or things are happening in our lives, we handle it a lot of different ways. But one of the questions is, at what point do we consult with God? 
I mean, we have a tendency to make our lists, our pros and cons, consult with friends, consult with colleagues, find some mentors, talk to advisors. But at what point do we sit down and talk to God and consult with God? God, I need your help with this one. Can you guide me on this one? Jesus spends an amazing amount of time in prayer and We've been looking at the Gospel of Luke. Luke is rapidly becoming one of my favorite Gospels, my favorite Gospel, because, well, Luke tells you in chapter 1, and we've been doing a series on Luke, because he tells us in chapter 1 that there are other Gospels that have already been written, but for some reason, God inspired Luke to write yet another one. So what is it that God wants us to hear from Luke? And one of the things that Luke does is although all the Gospels show us Jesus in prayer, Luke spends more time on it. Luke gives us a little more of that insight into the intimacy that Jesus had in his prayer life. And we learn from it. Jesus' popularity is growing. He's been teaching in the synagogues and and the word was beginning to spread. When Jesus teaches in the synagogue, it's, it's not like when the rabbis teach. It's not like when the priests are up there teaching and leading. When, when this man teaches, this Jesus of Nazareth, when, when he teaches, it's as one with authority. His teaching's different. And then Jesus cast out a demon. A man had a, an unclean spirit, a demonic spirit, and, and Jesus cast it out. And, and the people are absolutely amazed, going, wow, did you see that? Even the demons knew who he was. He had authority over the demonic. We need to check this guy out. Come, Jesus of Nazareth, you've got to come see this. You've got to come and hear this guy. Crowds are beginning to grow. More and more people are coming. He goes to Capernaum right there on the Sea of Galilee. And Peter's mother-in-law is ill. Jesus goes in and heals her. The word gets out. Oh, man, he does miracles. I mean, he heals people. And pretty soon, when you read the scriptures, it's, it's like people were coming from all around to hear Jesus teach and, and, and to see the miracles that he performed. He just healed a leper. Word is spreading. Crowds are growing. Day and night, people are calling out for Jesus. I mean, can you imagine what it was like to be Jesus? I mean, can you imagine that first thing in the morning when you step outside, there's someone going, Jesus, Jesus, over here, Jesus. Here's my daughter. Can you, can you heal my daughter? Jesus, here's my son. Jesus, this is my father. Jesus, this is my mother. Jesus, here's my sister, my brother. I mean, every time you turn around, Jesus, over here, Jesus. Got it. Jesus, constant, son of. To sundown, constantly being needed. And as he would teach, the crowds would press in on him. They even wanted to make him king. Jesus! Jesus over here! Can you imagine? How would you, how would you deal with that? I mean, we can't blame the people. We would be doing the same thing. I mean, if I told you that Jesus is in Weddington right now, and he happens to be over in the Harris Teeter parking lot. And he's teaching and healing right now. I think you would get up and leave. I don't think many of you are going to go, wow, Terry, Jesus, Terry, <laughs> Jesus. And if you are, you'd be doing it by yourself because I'd be over there. <laughs> and I think most of us would be going, Jesus. And we would start naming some need that we have, somebody that we love, something that's 
really important to us, we would be calling his name too. And we wouldn't want him to get away until we had a chance to talk to him. We can't blame the people, but how would you handle that kind of stress? Well, how did Jesus handle it? Luke chapter 5, verse 15. But now more than ever, the word about Jesus spread abroad. Many crowds would gather to hear him and to be cured of their diseases. But he would withdraw to deserted places and pray. That's how he handled it. No matter how busy Jesus was, no matter how many people were calling out his name, no matter what he was trying to do, Jesus knew, I have to take a few moments to get away and to be with God. Jesus figured that out, that, that in order to be able to help so many other people, I mean, Jesus was doing good things. Can you imagine how hard it is to walk away from doing something really good? I mean, it's not like they were going, Jesus, could you stop the video games just for a little bit, come out here and talk to us? I mean, it wasn't like Jesus was twiddling his thumbs. Jesus was doing amazing things, teaching of the kingdom, healing the sick. Jesus. But he had to stop even doing really good, really important things to do something else that was really important. And that was spend some time in prayer. As a matter of fact, Luke tells us that Jesus would withdraw regularly. As a matter of fact, if you look at the scripture, particularly verse 16 and particularly if you look at the Greek, Luke doesn't say, and one day when Jesus was really busy, he slid aside to a deserted place. But rather, the scripture said he would withdraw to deserted places and pray. Meaning, it wasn't a one-time event, but Jesus regularly, in, in spite of how busy he was, regularly Jesus would step away. Because Jesus knew, if I keep pouring out and pouring out and pouring out and pouring out, but I never take the time to allow God to refill me, at some point I'll be empty and no one will get any good out of it. Jesus knew. Fred Craddock, who writes a commentary on the Gospel of Luke, said it takes extraordinary spiritual discernment to turn away from doing good to the power necessary to resource the good. It takes incredible discernment to go, what I'm doing is really important, but I've got to do this so that I can come back and do that. How did Jesus handle the stress? He stepped aside. He Spent time in prayer. The Gospel of Luke tells us over and over again about Jesus' prayer life. Luke chapter 3, for example, verse 21. It's the baptism of Jesus. When all the people, Luke said, were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened. That's when the Spirit of God descends in bodily form like a dove, and that's when you hear the voice from heaven saying, You're my son. What was Jesus doing? He was praying. And the scripture we just read, when Jesus was the busiest, he took time to pray. And when Jesus needed to select the disciples, he took time to pray. Luke chapter 6, verse 12. Luke chapter 6, verse 12. 
Now, during those days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and he spent the night in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose 12 of them, whom he also called apostles. If you've ever read the book by Jim Collins called Good to Great, one of the things that Jim Collins will teach you in the book Good to Great is that it is vital that you put the right people on the bus. That you got to get the, if, if you want to fulfill your mission, the first thing you do is got to get the right people on the bus. Sometimes you got to get the, right, the wrong people off the bus. But then once you get the right people on the bus, the next step is making sure you have the right people in the right seat on the bus. And then once you've got that, you can then head in the direction that you're meant to go. But that's vital. Jesus knew that. He knew my ministry on earth will be short. Satan and all the forces of evil, even the religious leaders and others, are going to come up against me. My time on earth is going to be short. I have to choose a group of people to be around me. There are many followers of Jesus, but this is when Jesus names the twelve. And this is going to be big. I've got to be able to name people who will be with me, that I can mentor, that I can coach, that I can lead, who will witness what I'm doing, who will, who will grow in their faith, and so when I'm gone, will continue the message of the kingdom of God and what God is doing. This is critical. So how did Jesus prep for it? Did he consult? Maybe. Did he bring in a firm? Possibly. But he also spent the night in prayer. The whole night. In prayer. And the next morning, he called together all of the followers, but named 12 to be apostles. Jesus spent time in prayer on a regular basis. Luke 9 18, he was praying alone and he, with only the disciples near him, Luke says, and, and that's when he goes to the people, get it. When you're out listening to the people, who do they say that I am? Who do you think that I am? But Jesus was praying about it. God, do they get it? Do they get it? And, and when Jesus was transfigured, remember what happened? Luke 9, 28, about eight days after these sayings, Luke says that Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, went up onto the mountain to pray. It was then that Moses and Elijah appeared. And God says to him, you really are my son with whom I'm well pleased. You see, Jesus spent time away regularly in prayer to the point that one day, Luke 11, verse 1, the scripture says that he was praying in a certain place, and after he had finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Why? Because they noticed. You know, Jesus can get really tired. Jesus can work day and night. But periodically, then Jesus will go away and he'll spend time in prayer. And when he comes back, he's different. When Jesus goes away and prays and he comes back, he's revived. When Jesus goes away and he spends some time with God and he comes back, he's empowered to do all these things that God has called him to do. Teach us how to do that. We want to be able to. What are, teach us, Lord. And that's when Jesus said, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Jesus continues to pray regularly. He prayed for others. One of my favorite scriptures is Luke 22, verse 31. It's there in the upper room scene when Jesus looks over at Simon Peter and he goes, Simon, Simon, listen. 
Satan has demanded to sift all of you like wheat, but I prayed for you that your own faith may not fail in you and once you turn back can strengthen your brothers. I love that. One of the reasons why is Luke puts a little turn to it, that, that a little nuance that you don't see in some of the other Gospels because the others, you tend to hear Jesus say, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. But Luke said, he said, Satan has desired to sift, well, all of you. He's desired to sift all of you like wheat, but I prayed for you because you're the leader. Remember, you're rocky. On this faith, I'll build my church. I prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you've returned, then you can strengthen all the others. I prayed for you, Peter. Jesus' prayer time was absolutely vital, and it was noted when the writer of Hebrews wrote the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 5, 7 reminds us, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Prayer. You see, I, I think it's absolutely vital. And Jesus well, Jesus can teach us this. Luke wants us to get it. Did you see from the beginning of his ministry to when he was in the garden right before he was crucified, Jesus was in prayer. Jesus prayed. I do a lot of uh, weddings. This year has been, uh, Nancy and I were actually talking to a family last night. This year I've done the second most amount of weddings that I've done in my entire ministry in one year. And and, and, and so, you know, I had a wedding last night. I've got another one this coming weekend. We've had several throughout the year, not counting our own daughter and, and now son-in-law. And, and, and so it's an exciting time. I do a lot of premarital counseling, do a lot of marriage counseling. One of the things that I do when I'm meeting with couples that I'll ask them, I'm like, what do you think is the number one marital problem? And couples are quick to go, oh, finances. You know, and everybody thinks, you know, number one marital problem, Finances. And I will tend to go, you know, that's a pretty good answer because when poverty knocks at the door, love flies out the window. I mean, I get that. That can make it tough. Not the number one answer. What else do you think? Infidelity. Infidelity is a pretty good answer because that don't mess up a marriage in a hurry. So that's, that's a bit. But many of us believe that the number one marital problem is communication. Communication. Because the issues with finances often are we can't get together and communicate effectively on what we're trying to do and create a plan. Or with infidelity, many of the times what happens is simply that we quit talking and now somebody over here starts talking to me. And boundaries get crossed. Communication. It's absolutely vital in any relationship Communication is critical. We have to spend time together with the people we're in a relationship with to keep the relationship strong and communicate. And we're not always good at it. I've told you before, when we were in my last church and, and the church was growing and we were building the new sanctuary and building the new educational building and building the staff team and God was doing amazing things and it was really busy I received a phone call one day from my wife a phone call from my wife during the day that said something like this do I need to call your assistant to get placed on your calendar okay I may not be the sharpest knife in the drawer but I figured that one out pretty quick 
And so we had to do a step back and, and we had to start looking at, okay, we're so busy. But what I was doing was good stuff. It wasn't like I was doing anything bad, I'm trying to build the church for God. I'm trying to do all these things for God. It was not that I was doing anything bad. But at some point, we have to pause to work on the relationships and to be together. And so we actually pulled out our calendar. We began to look at, okay, when the kids have Bible study here and this here and this here and that there, here's the night. We're going to call this night family night. And we literally blocked it off. And on my calendar, even today, you will see blocks that says family time periodically throughout it. And, and even categorize them in green blocks. Because I don't know why green, but green is the color I picked. And, and when I glance at my calendar, I can see little blocks of green and I know that's time for a family. And when people say, well, are you available then? I can't, I can't do that. I have a prior commitment. I do. It's my family. Pretty important prior commitment. I had them before I had any of you. And odds are, they'll cry at my funeral more than you, so that's a priority. And we have to do that. And we have to do the same thing in our time with God. Is we have to step back periodically and look at how much time we have with God. And we go, but we're busy. I get it. I hear people say all the time, I'd love to be more in a Bible study or more in a small group. I'd love to have this. I'd love to be, I wish I had more prayer time, but our lives just won't allow it. We'll take a look at Jesus' life. Sun up to sun down. Jesus, over here. Jesus, can you help me? Jesus, this is my kid. Jesus, this is my brother. Jesus, 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 I need you over here. And Jesus, who was doing amazing things in the kingdom of God, knew I've got to step away. Because in order to do that well, I have to do this. And at some point, we as the church have to do the same. I believe that the number one marital problem is communication, and perhaps the number one spiritual problem is communication. Because we quit talking to God and allowing God to talk to us. We spend a lot of time talking about God but not enough time speaking with God and allowing God to speak to us. So I think one of the things that God wanted us to hear was how do you pray like Jesus? Well, I think many of our prayers today, if we're not careful, are our conversations with God are kind of like our conversations with the people at the drive through window. We have a tendency to pull up we roll down the window and we go, God, I need one miracle and two blessings. <laughs> then we pull around expecting God to hand us exactly what we ask for the way we ask for it. And we're frustrated when the order is not filled by God exactly like we wanted it. And then we have a tendency to pull off. And most of us do not have a genuine relationship with the voice on the other side of the drive through window. And if we're not careful, our prayer lives can be the same thing. God, here's what I need. Here's how I want it. But we may not end up with a genuine relationship with the voice on the other side of the window. If we don't pause to take genuine time, Jesus regularly. Luke wants you to get it regularly. 
went away to spend time with God. In spite of how busy, the moment we're too busy to spend time with God is the moment we'll become ineffective at everything else that we're doing. So how do we pray effectively? Well, I think the main thing is is that our prayers just need to be genuine and honest and open relationship. Just a genuine relationship. One of the things I share with couples when I do marriage counseling or premarital counseling is that if, if any other two people were sitting here at this conversation, it would be a different conversation. If any one of you were marrying somebody different, it would be a different conversation because you are two unique individuals, so therefore you're creating a unique, a unique relationship. We can learn from other people's relationships, but it will not be exactly like it because you are unique. And we can learn from other people about how to pray effectively, but your conversation and your relationship with God will be unique because you are a unique individual in a relationship with God. And we get hung up on, on exactly how do you pray effectively and what does it look like. I think the key thing is is honest, authentic, open relationship. God, here's the way it is. If God already knows what's on our minds, what's in our heart, what's on our tongue, then just cut to the chase. God, here we go. Sometimes I'm driving down the road. I'll reach up and turn off the radio and go, God, we need to talk. People go, you really talk to God that way? Well, I do. I mean, I also have the God I love you and I, you know, and I praise you. I mean, just thinking about the kind of things that you do. Yes, we have the praise conversations too. But sometimes it's like, God, I don't know what to do here. I need some help with this one. And it's just honest, open conversation because God already knows what I'm going through. So we name it. Genuine. I think when we pray, too, we have to trust. I wonder sometimes if, if we're hesitant to lay our genuine prayers before God and our conversation before God because we're afraid if God doesn't fill the order exactly the way we ordered it, it'll make us question our faith. So I'm hesitant to lay it out there. I'm hesitant to name it because if God lets me down, I've got to make sure God has an out clause. So I can still trust. But I think God wants us to step out in faith and for us to be able to believe that, that just because the answer I get was not exactly what I was looking for does not mean that God didn't answer. I was thinking about it this morning on my way in before the 8.15 service. If you were out early this morning, you know, it was foggy. I mean, you could hardly see. And I was thinking, wow, this is just the way life really is. I've got limited sight. I can only see just a little ways up in front of me. And then it's just, it becomes a fog. I, it's just a haze. I can't really see through it. But God has a different perspective because God can see through it all. He sees how each road interconnects. He knows every vehicle that's on the road. God has a different perspective. And my prayer life is when I can trust that God can make decisions that I'm not equipped to make. Because God has a different view. To pray, we've got to trust that God is there for us. And to pray without ceasing. I, th I think we get caught up in formulas. I think that works for some people. You know, here's the formula. You do this and then you do that. For others of us, it doesn't. Posture, are we supposed to kneel every time we pray? Or do you kneel beside your bed? Or can you lay down when you pray? But if I lay down, I tend to go to sleep. So maybe I should. I mean, what, is, is it okay to pray? That, are you supposed to close your eyes? You know what? I pray a lot of times when I'm driving. Closing your eyes when you're praying when you're driving is not a good idea. 
Although I am convinced that a lot of people driving around me must have their eyes closed. <laughs> so do we have our eyes closed? I, I, when we were doing the rehearsal the other night, Friday night, we were standing there and they had tons of groomsmen on one side and tons of bridesmaids on the other side. And, and so I told them, you know, we were in a barn because that's the thing you do now is you go to a venue somewhere. And so we were in this barn. I said, you know, but when we pray, I mean, it's still a worship service. So when I say, let us pray, I, I want every head to bow because it's a genuine prayer. We're not doing this for the video. This is real. We're actually, you know, God's going to be here. We're inviting God in. So, so when I say, let us pray, I want you to bow your heads. I said, but you don't have to close your eyes. And, and some people, you don't have to close your eyes when you pray. Some people cannot stand still with their eyes closed. I mean, some people, if you say, you know, bow your head and close your eyes, <laughs> they, so you don't have to close your eyes. If you need your eyes open when you pray, open it. It's not about the rules. See, we, we make everything so legalistic. It's about the relationship. It's just about the relationship. To be honest, genuine, with God. So am I supposed to pray long prayers or short prayers okay? Well, when Jesus had the big decision about the right people on the bus, he prayed all night. When Peter stepped out of the boat and was walking on the water and doubted and started to drown, his prayer was really short. Lord, save me. Pretty quick. But effective. Because Jesus reached out and took his hand. And Jesus said, now don't feel like you just need to talk and heap on empty phrases. He said that in Matthew 6, 7. Some people just like to talk to hear themselves talk. And if you're talking to hear yourself talk, you're not really talking to me anyway. So don't do that. Let's just be real. Jesus just wants us to be real. God wants us to be real. To be Christian means to be like Christ. Well, how did Christ handle the busyness of the world, he'd slide away, find a quiet place, and talk to God. And if the Son of God needed that, who do we think that we are to think we don't? I imagine God is looking at us on a regular basis going, hey, can we talk? Let's pray. God, if we're not careful, we'll spend a lot of time talking about you rather than to you. And God, we learn from your son. Because he was doing amazingly good things. He had a busy calendar. His schedule was tight. So many people needing him. And yet he would slip away to be with you on a regular basis. God, we complain because our calendar's full, our schedule's tight, so many people need us. But help us to realize that we too need to slip away and be with you. Because you are the one who can empower us to come back and be with others. God, help us to take time for a sweet hour of prayer. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.